Well, hello there and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio. We're having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing Radio audience. And of course, we are earlier this week because it's the first week of the month. And uh, welcome to our watchers, listeners who are in the European time zone. So we hope that this is uh, an acceptable time for you. Do tell us where you're watching or listening from. We always we always enjoy just uh, getting a little bit of a flavour of how many countries we can nail. Um, I kind of in the old days, I would have had a map, you know, with a little pin. Yeah, I want to do that. I told you I want to do that. <laughs> Now, our podcast today is supported by the U.S. Rowing Racing Starts Challenge. We're running a three-day webinar with U.S. Rowing, and it's an intensive learning which will perfect your racing starts for this season. Led by three expert Olympians, Mary Whipple, Adam Creek, and Cam Kiesogolus, please come and find out more on our website, or you can go to Eventbrite and search for Racing Starts Challenge. Now, the joy of this particular webinar is that because it's run over three days, the idea is we're going to do one part of the racing start each day, and then you'll practice overnight. So the second day, you'll come back having practiced strokes one and two. Then you'll do the learning for strokes three through to eight. And that's going to be led by Adam Creek. So Mary Whipple's strokes one and two uh, and getting to the start and backing onto the start and all those good things. And then Adam's going to teach us the middle part. So the mid part of your race strokes. And then you'll go and practice that overnight. And then you'll come back on day three. And Cam is going to be teaching about how to transition off your start sequence and onto your mid race pace. And that's the joy of it. And there's a workbook that goes with it. And you're going to be um, absolutely wowed by these people. They are obviously incredible professionals, but they have fantastic insider tips, uh, which you know you're going to want. So get signed up. The tickets are free. Um, it's going to be happening in late May. Um, everything's on the Eventbrite page, and I really hope that you're going to be able to join us there. I'm very excited for this. The, the, these are a lot of fun, and... They tell us so much, you know, these are the things like, okay, what is happening from the coxswain seat when you're going down an Olympic course, you know, or what's happening in the five seat, you know, it's, it's really fascinating. Now, this past week, the things that we've been doing more broadly to advocate for Masters Rowing. Marlene, what have you been up to? Your season's just starting. I know. And, you know, Actually, maybe I've been a little bit boring the last couple of weeks, but it's 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 all been quite local focused. Um, we're just 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 getting rolling. Our club isn't officially open yet, but it will be probably within the next week. So, um, actually, doing things like reviewing reviewing safety videos, getting updated uh, safety information out to people. Um, so. Just kind of, I've just sort of been doing local publicity, but um, I am getting ready to go to Craftsbury and do a week there, um, which is, it's been a while because of COVID. We've missed a couple seasons. So 
um, you know, that will be predominantly master's population. So, you know, we're going to spread the word. <laughs> so Sounds brilliant. And it'll be so nice to reconnect with all your buddies there. I think that's the joy, isn't it, of being able to travel again? I know. Well, it, it just seems so when some, you know, and I'm sure many people feel this after COVID, when something is such a regular part of your life and then it's, you know, you have to wait or you're away for a long time. It's, it's, you know, I, I realized it's so nice to have something to look forward to, you know, you know, you sort of forget, like you're always thinking, oh, okay, in a couple of weeks I go here and a couple of weeks I go there. And then all of a sudden, like, you're not going anywhere for a really long time. And so, you know, it's, it's, so refreshing actually so i'm sure many people who are getting back to racing and regattas and moving around carefully albeit carefully you know covid is still flying around out there but um but you know it is so nice to look forward to some regattas and some fun and seeing people and you know i think we all really miss that yeah yeah a quick reminder that if you want some branded gear kit uh, from Faster Masters, it's at jlrowing.com forward slash collections and then forward slash faster hyphen masters uh, or just search on the JL Rowing blog. Uh, the shop will close on the 12th of May. So you've got a week um, to get your order in and then that's the uh, that's the end of it for this year. I have got the most delightful picture. This, please meet Gordon Woods meeting Gordon Woods. So this is Gordon, the man in the cap and the jacket and tie. Um, at the boat naming for a new boat named after him. And the four gentlemen in the wonderful stripy blazers are the Masters E-Quad from Penguin Rowing Club in the UK. And Gordon is a, uh, a Twitter correspondent of mine. He, uh, he and I hang out together from, uh, from time to time, which is... It's, it's great fun. Our topic today is picking crew lineups for racing um, and also perhaps for training. Perhaps we should we could touch on a little bit of both. Um, what would you like to do first, Marlene? Should we do training or racing? Let's do training. Cool. So training. Any master's group has a calendar and you hopefully know ahead of time who's going to be turning up for each practice. One of the things about a group is that you should be mixing and matching the people you row with, partly because this gives you new skills, how to blend in with a new crew, how to move from a single sex to a mixed crew, how to row with someone who's a newbie to the sport and to bring them on and give them some confidence and show them how to do it. So when I'm picking crew lineups, broadly speaking, the least experienced people go in the biggest boats. So they'll go in the eights and the quads and the fours. And the most experienced people go in the single skulls and the pairs, roughly. In between then, you've of course got a whole load of different seats in the boat. So I'm going to focus on fours and quads um, at the moment. There are specific skills that you need for stroke and bow. One of them is going to be steering. The other one is going to be looking around and taking your route. So whether your steering foot is at stroke or bow, it makes no odds. The bow person is the one doing the looking around. 
and the stroke has to be able to set a consistent beat and to be very precise with their blade work and their body movements so that the rest of the crew can follow well. So the skills that you need for those two seats are pretty self-evident. You need someone who is a confident rower or sculler in the stroke seat. And in the bow seat, you need someone who's flexible enough to be able to turn around and look over both shoulders so that they can actually see the bow ball of the boat in front of you. If you have someone who's particularly stiff or immobile, generally, I wouldn't recommend it, particularly if you have a bendy river or a busy waterway. What else would you add in there, Marlene, for the bow and the stroke? Well, and we want to make sure that that one person is designated to give the calls. If, if it's not a cox, if it's say it's a quad and you don't have a coxswain, um, that one person must be giving the calls. So they, they must be relatively experienced to know what the calls will be so that it's understandable for the crew. That's correct. Uh, we When I first joined this club, I was told very firmly that the rule is two always does the calls. <laughs> okay. You're a two. Well, that could be complicated if two wouldn't be a good person for making the calls. Like, what if two doesn't know how to do that? Then what do you do? <laughs> two exactly. can't be two then. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which brings us to sort of the middle pair. So three and two. Obviously, if you're in a sweet boat, you've got considerations as to who can row on which side. Um, there are it has been said that you want the heavier people in the middle of the boat. I don't think that's a rule that you have to follow uh, nowadays, but you do want to have a thought to matching the equivalent strength. So if you've got two men, two women, you don't want them both on the same side um, unless you've got a really good steersman or you know, the guys are not going to go full power, which they might agree to do for an outing or two, but it may not be so much fun. Or the women are really strong. Well, there is that. That's right. That happens. Let's hear it. It does. That's right. Um, three needs to be very good at following. So they need to have a really good eye to what's happening in the stroke seat. And they need to be able to pick up that. And they need to be able to transmit the rhythm down the boat. So stroke sets it you know, in collaboration with three. And the two of them need to set a very good beat so that bow pair can pick up on that. So that's a, a classic a uh, skill that's needed in the three seat. Three also has uh, another job, which is to kind of keep an eye on stroke. Sometimes strokes go off into their own little world. And so a little mutter once in a while to, you know, what's the rate, you know, keep the rate down. If, you know, if you're rate limited, I find strokes, if you're doing something that's, you know, at 24, <laughs> you'll find it drips up to 25 and 26. You're like, hey, one minute, we're not supposed to be there. That's right. 24 is not 25, ma'am. Um, and then two is probably the most comfortable seat in the boat. There is everything, not everything is being done for you, but you're being given very strong guidance and a lead. You might have to do the calls if you're rowing at my club, but you've got people to follow on both sides in front of you, or obviously uh, sculling um, directly in front of you. Someone else is taking charge of the steering. Someone else is taking charge of setting the rhythm. So if you want to learn and focus on your own rowing the most, choose the two seat. It'll give you brain space um, just to have a bit of time to think about yourself and then to think about what you're following. 
Um, and so if I want to have a really intensive kind of self-coaching outing, I'll often volunteer to take the two seat um, because that's all I have to do. Mm. And sometimes that's really nice. <laughs> kind of, you know, it could be a, it could be a lot of, you know, you as much as life tells us we should not multitask, right? We should be focused. You know, you have to, when you're rowing bow seat or you're steering and you're doing the workout, you have to multitask. So, you know, you, you have to, you have to develop those skills. And we, we've talked about, we've had some really good podcasts about steering skills and what's involved. And it, it is something that needs to be learned and, and practiced often so that you can also do your training. Absolutely. So if you're in a crew where people have different levels of experience, it is really good to give people steering practice. So you might choose to have someone at stroke who's never steered before. And a stroke is in my club where we have the steering foot. Um, and so make sure they have a confident three sitting behind them and a confident bow person. Make sure you know how the bow person is going to explain which direction they need to steer towards. Uh, one of the things that people often forget with a newbie steerer is that you'll move your foot to steer in a particular direction. You have to remember to go back to having your foot straight. So we have a call that is straight. So they'll say, start, start the turn stroke side. And then when you've got far enough around, they'll then say straight. And then the stroke person knows to straighten their foot. So little things like that, make sure that you're really clear because people use different language mm -hmm. to indicate direction. I've been in crews where people say bow side when they want pressure on bow side. And I've been in crews where they say bow side when they want you to steer towards bow side. So you need to be absolutely clear because those are absolutely. diametrically opposite. <laughs> What else would you think about for other crew lineups? Well, I think I think in terms of your overall practice, you you have to establish if you're if you're going to plan different lineups or combinations of experience or men and women, what who's in which boat? You also have to to know you know what is the goal of the of the practice session because. There may be certain practice sessions where it's it's a very important trial day, and then you're going to want to choose your lineups according to the boats that you're going to race, and that's one type of a practice. Mm -hmm. There might be another type of a practice that is more, let's call it a process practice or a training session. Maybe it's a longer session, more technical-focused session where you you have a little bit of room to experiment and put people in new new roles because you're going to be working at low rates or you you may be you know um not making so many changes it's more of a steady row and that might be the time to put people into experimental lineups and give mm -hmm. them a chance whereas if you're doing something that's your your priority workout of the week you might not want to experiment in that session, um, if it's a really important session that you need to to focus on the quality. So I think, you know, the the type of session will also influence how experimental you can be, or like this. You know, I think if you're when you're racing, 
if you're doing trials and if you have the ability to do this as a boat, you know, do your trials or your quality practices in the boat that is as specific as possible that you're going to race in. So, you know, if you're your priority, your starred workout, as we have them in Faster Masters, if your if your priority workout um, is you know five times five minutes, and your priority for your regatta is your single, try to do that in your single if you can. Um, if you've got two priorities and you're going to be racing another boat, maybe one, the other priority session might be maybe the women's quad event or the e quad is your other key race. Then maybe you do the other quality workout in your um, e quad because they're going to be different different boat speeds different experience racing two different events so making sure that that you're getting some time in the boat that your important boat that you're going to to be rowing and also sometimes you know circumstances come about that you can't get the lineup that you'd hoped for in those times, if you still want to do one of those priority sessions and say, for example, you're in a quad, uh, but you've got a, a less experienced person who's maybe sitting in the two seat. This happened to us recently. We were supposed to be doing 1K pieces at um, around 30, rate 30. And I hazarded a guess that this person was going to struggle to do a rate 30 piece. And so we agreed that we would lower the rate to 26. And we had to do a couple of them and they were absolutely fine at 26. And so when we did the second piece and the stroke inched the uh, rating up to 27, I didn't worry. He was going to be fine. And then we were doing it side by side with another crew, which is always fun. Um, then when it came down to the line and the other crew clearly had decided that rate limits were we're going out the window because it was the last piece yeah. um you know our rate came up to closer to 31 so it was a good outcome it was only probably 30 strokes at the higher rate but it gave confidence which was built on the fact that we'd been just a bit conservative in that first piece and that was a worthwhile training session i didn't feel robbed in any sense mm -hmm. um, and we we all learned something um, and our newbie, you know, got enough confidence to say, yeah, I'll come to the regatta, which is, yeah, that's which really is nice. Great. Right. And even excited, maybe thinking that, you know, to life over 30 strokes a minute is a little bit different in a boat than life under 30 strokes a minute. And certainly in a single or a small boat, but I think in any boat when, when you're not that experienced. So that was a great way to approach it. And by the end, your new rower was probably like, couldn't believe she rode or he rode 30 strokes a minute, you know, never imagined perhaps that it was possible, but, you know, you brought it up in a way that wasn't super anxiety provoking and, you know, made it, made it, a, you know, kind of a collective practice. And, you know, a team boat is a team boat. So you, you can't have three or four or eight people doing their own thing and expect to, you know, move as a unit. So that was a, that was a really good approach to that. And, and we all enjoyed it more to the point. Yeah. Now, when it comes to regattas, there's a little bit of um, reading. If you want, there's an article on our website called Select Your Masters Lineups for Regattas. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. You're very welcome to read it. It is the process that I personally use when I'm trying to 
get the lineups right for my own club. Um, but it's, it's just there as a little bit of guidance, you know, should you want it. So let's move on, Marlene. We're going to be picking lineups for regattas. You've okay. already given some really clear hints about priorities. Talk a little bit more about how these get decided. The priorities or the yeah, the priorities. Well, if if you're looking at your season and you have X number of regattas, say say in the in the uh, June, July, August period, you have you have four regattas. And obviously you have to you have to decide which one or two regattas are your most important. Obviously, everybody wants to do well at every regatta they go to, but you cannot peak for every single race. So we we talk about training through a race, which means you might just take it easy the day before, have an easy get get a little bit of extra rest that week, but your workload doesn't really go down other than getting an extra rest day before your race. And it's an opportunity to, to go race, practice your race plan, get some real-time uh, night before the regatta, dinner, sleep, packing your bag, traveling, rigging, you know, all this stuff that goes in, all these components that you've got to do to get to, get to the starting line so that you're practiced by the time you get to your main event. But you have to decide your main event and then what's a B event, what's a C event, and if you look at your, your priority event, you then have to decide what are, what are your priority bodings? What, what, what events for your club, it may be for the club, you may be making these decisions for yourself, are the most important races to you? So as an individual, perhaps your single is your singles race is like, that's what you're really gunning for. You're really training for that. That's the race you want to do really well in. Maybe your second race would be the women's eight, for example. So, you know, with that in mind, when, when you're choosing your workouts, and as we talked a little bit before, you've got certain key workouts of the week, you want to make sure that you're getting enough time in that single to develop what the, the fitness and the skill and the blade work that you need need for your race. And then you also want to blend that in, mix that in with, say, your outing in the women's eight, for example. Maybe you row your single four times a week and you row the eight once or twice a week. Depends. Um, it might be completely different. It could be your priority is to row a mixed double with, with a new mixed doubles partner. And it's not about winning. It's about just going down the course and doing it. Um, so there are lots of different ways to approach a, a regatta and that influences your practice time. And, um, you know, if, you're, if your club is, say, if you're gunning for the women's E and you want that gold medal at the championships in your women's E boat, you know, maybe you're not doing rowing that boat every practice, but as you get closer and closer into your taper, you want to be spending a little bit more time in that boat to really dial in your transitions and your your starts and your race plan and and those things. So, you know, the farther you are from your peak event, I think the more diversity you can have. And then as you get closer, you you want to you want to dial in your practices. And sometimes people row 
a few events quite often. And if you've got two priorities, you know, when you're getting close to race day, you might want to even do short sessions and split your time. Like I go out, I go out in the eight, we go out in the eight for 45 minutes, come in, I hop in my single for 30 minutes and I go out and I do a few starts in my single and then I come in. So, you know, your practices don't have to be long. It's more keeping your boat feel up, which is really important for your confidence. So as you get really close, you know, you, you can actually split, split some sessions into like little mini sessions just for, you know, sharpening. That's a really good point that you make because a lot of athletes are very focused on what they want to do and then they don't go and look at the regatta program. So regatta organizers publish ahead of time the sequence of events that they're going to do through the one or two days or week-long regatta. You need to also consider that because if your two big events are on the same day, Yep. You might want to review your decision because that's going to be pretty hard. Yes, um, absolutely. Another thing that I bring when I'm looking at the whole list of just it's just a list of names of who wants to go to the regatta. I'll try and bond people together into groups of two and four of similar ability, because then it makes my life really easy. Because if I've got four people in a four I can split them into two pairs if they're skilled enough to row a pair or a quad splits into two doubles so that you can then, um, you know, you know that those people will all be doing this event together and then they'll actually all be doing this other event just in two separate crews. And it makes it much easier in terms of um, working out through the day's program are they going to have enough rest between their events? You know, is there enough turnaround? Because we've all had nightmare situations where uh, you leap out of yeah. one boat into another and, you know, it just feels rushed and panicked and sometimes you miss the start and things like that happen. So looking at groups of pairs and fours is really, really good. Um, and you can do that not just by sex. You can also do it by age. Because mm-hmm. typically on a one-day regatta, you'll find that the age group racing is scattered through. So, yeah. you know, the yeah. uh, the ABC singles might be early in the morning. You'll then find the ABC quads in the middle of the day and the doubles towards the middle of the afternoon. So if you're just in those age groups, it's reasonably straightforward and you can do all those three events should you want to. Where it becomes challenging is where you have crews whose average age moves them between age groups. So good example, we have a quad where one doubles a D and the other doubles an E. So, sorry, actually, it's not even true. They're an F. So mm-hmm. we average out to E, mm-hmm. but when we split into... So, again, that can affect things because some regattas um, aggregate them and we'll do a handicap right. race with A's, B's and C's all in the same event they might put you into different heats or they call them divisions sometimes down right. here. Um, but again, you then need to know what is going to be going on and whether or not that's practical. Um, yes, and sometimes yes. you just have to make sacrifices and go like, I'm not going to get to do my mixed double this next regatta um, just because there isn't enough turnaround um, between other races. Right. And, and that I think that is something that gets overlooked quite often because um, 
when one goes to a, I mean, oftentimes masters, when they go to a regatta, they want to race as many races as they're allowed to race. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed how many races people can do in a day. Therefore, we must train hard. Um, I don't know if I would be able to do that. But um, I think I think realistic timing before uh, between events is really key. And look at the structure of your event. For example, Visa World Masters, you row one flight. So you might have two events in a day, but that's only going to be two races. Mm. You may go to, say, U.S. Masters Nationals, where it is heats, reps, semifinals, and finals, possibly, all in one day. And if you're rowing two races that, that are su subscribed heavily, you could end up with eight races that day. And your final two races of the day will be the races that are the final. So that is a tremendously difficult day in terms of coordination and racing, hydration, food. What if it's hot? What if it's cold? What if it's raining? What if it's rough? I mean, there's all these factors. So, you know, you have to look at, you know, what are the qualifications? How many, you, you entered this many events, but how many races might that actually be in the worst case scenario, right? So um, that, that is something to, to look at, as well as if you're at a multi-day regatta, which is, say, a three or four-day regatta like the FISA World Masters, um, you know, you, you need to be, if you're racing the, the mixed events, which are usually on the final day, you know, you have to make sure you're, you're in shape to race well by day four, so how you space things and rest and all these things come into play after that that cumulative effect that if you have a, a three or four day championship yeah and a word of warning for the FISA masters if you're in an a or a b uh, mixed crew they are the first race of the day at 8 a.m on a sunday night after the saturday night party and if you're just walking over the bridge to the regatta course, you can watch your own race going without you because I've done that. <laughs> You've done that. And the mixed the mixed races are always on the final day, you know, which is which, you know, it's yeah. nice when you know those things. But, you know, honestly, the the and so going back to our topic of lineups, what your lineups are at a particular regatta. You know, there are different things you have to consider in terms of timing and are you able to row those events? Maybe they're too close together. So, you know, you have to you have to get the, the whole picture first and then you get into the nitty gritty of, OK, we can do these events. And now who do we actually put in the boat and, you know, picking crews or selecting crews that I mean, you know, it depends on your goal. Is the goal to give these, this boat experience? Is the goal to be like, we want this to be a really loaded boat. We want to win this event. And everybody who's in the boat is like 100% committed. So, you know, you have to, you have to look at what standard you're, you're going to, to hold um, the crew to for the race because it, it can serve all different purposes. Yeah. There, it's also worth looking at the results of previous years, and that may give you a good guide as to the number of entries in a particular event. Yes. Um, so, it, for example, in Australia, the National Masters Championships rotates around the different states. 
When it goes to Western Australia, which is a long way from where a lot of people live, they know that there are likely to be fewer entries. Same in the UK when the Masters Championships, if it's ever in Strathclyde in Scotland, some people will not travel that far to go. And so, you know, the head count will be lower. Doesn't mean you won't have tough competition in your sure, events, but right. you know, there may be may not be a semi-final, for example. Right. And I don't personally advocate event picking. There are people who like to say, oh, there are always fewer entries in the sweep than the sculling, therefore we should do the sweep. My view is you should do the event that you are best at. And if as a crew, you're better at your sweep than you are at your sculling, well, focus on your sweep events. But again, have an eye, a bit like uh, splitting different age categories, have an eye to when the sweep events are scheduled compared with the sculling events. Because again, quite often the regatta organizers, they can't get it right for everyone all the time. Um, but one of the things that they will be doing probably is spacing out the sweep and the sculling events but for your one age group, you may find that the turnaround is too tight to go from a four into a double. So you yeah. might have to choose a priority. I think as an individual, another fun way to use even a you know high level championship is perhaps you're, you've you've you know been a, you're a really successful team boat rower, and you know but. You want to try. You want to try the single, right? And the single's a really different animal than being than being in a team boat. You know, it's all you. You have to do. You have to do everything, right? Um, you get all the pleasure, but you also get all the pain too. However, um, you know, you could look at something like you row your priority event, and maybe at that championships, it, the timing works out that hey, you give it a go in your single, and you know, it's just about getting experience. But that's another thing you can say, OK, well, I'm, I'm downgrading. I'm not I'm not going into this with any big expectations. I'm just going to go into this for fun and get the experience, see what it's like, see if I like racing the single. Some people love it. Some people do not like it. And you could use a, a championship race this way. So in this case, you're picking your own lineup, which is you. And, um, you know, it's another example of just saying, you know, because when it comes to racing a single experience really matters. And, and I, and I encourage people, if you, if you want to race the single more, get out there and race, like, don't worry about the results, just go do it because you know, this you need in the single, you've just got to go down the course many, 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 many times and practice and think for yourself and steer and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the more you do it, the, the better, the better you get at it. So, you know, I would advocate, even if you think the races over your head in terms of maybe the top competition, just go row it, row the heat, row the, row the semifinal, row the rep, just, just get out there and practice going down the course. Cause that's the only way you're going to get better in the single. And also your skills in the single definitely transfer into the crew boats. Mm -hmm. The best crew boats are made up of people who can also all single skull, certainly mm -hmm. in the quads and in the sweep boat, people who can pair well, will also do well in a four will also do well in an eight. Well, I hope we've given you some ideas, things to think about. One really good example of uh, American versus British English, loaded boats. We'd call them stacked crews. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, this proves fact. <laughs> means it has lots of proves that too. I just forgot it at the moment, but that, that's one too. Yeah, loaded boat stack. You know. <laughs> now, before we wrap, um, we have a little request. We have a new training program which we're putting on to Faster Masters this month, which is for fitness athletes. So people who don't want to race but do train regularly. So if you or you have a friend who is a fitness rower and would like to be a tester for us, please get in touch. We're, we, we've designed the program, but before we um, put it out in the public gaze, what we'd like to know is from people who actually are those sorts of athletes, would you try working with this program through the month of May and give us some feedback as to whether or not we've pitched it about right, um, whether or not the workouts are challenging enough or not challenging enough and all of the other paraphernalia that goes around our programs, which I'm not going to explain now. Um, so please, we'd really appreciate it if people would get in touch um, and we will send them to you privately. So just contact us through the contact page and say, I'd like to try the fitness training program. Right. Any final words before we wrap? I think go out and have some good practices this week yeah enjoy it this has been faster masters rowing radio the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun fitness and confidence in their rowing you can become a student of the sport by buying a faster masters program subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join and we'll see you next week at our more normal time of 6 p.m eastern u.s time till then bye-bye